This is Psychic Warfare. Welcome back, my friends, to Psychic Warfare, the podcast where spirituality and philosophy collide with heavy metal and rock and roll. I am your host, Chris Keelick, and thank you for joining me once again on another journey into the lives and minds of the most iconic musicians in heavy music. Just as a reminder, if you enjoy the podcast and these conversations with the artists you love, it would mean the world if you subscribed and followed the podcast on your platform of choice. Also, you can follow me and the show at Pod on Twitter and at Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. So if you get a chance, follow the show there for updates and happenings on all things Psychic Warfare. This week, Katerina Ekonomu, vocalist of one of the leading bands in the next generation of Grindcore, Escuela Grind, joins us on Psychic Warfare. Escuela Grind have been making headlines across the metal outlet world and have been on the lips of innumerous hosts and figures in the metal media scene, and for good reason. Their last record, last year's Memory Theater, was the proverbial Big Bang that set the heavens spinning for the band, and their absolute ferocity, especially coupled with Katarina's intelligent, insightful lyricism, has rightfully pushed the band to the forefront of the latest wave of young talent absolutely crushing it in the scene right now with lyrics detailing the internal and societal disconnects that continue to erode our humanity i have been very excited to have her on the show so katarina welcome to psychic warfare and it's a pleasure to have you here today thank you chris thank you for having me (laughs) so how are you feeling at this moment in time mentally physically and spiritually um uh in in all fronts pretty tired uh we've been touring a lot and uh, actually traveling a lot in the past week. So today is truly the first moment of rest that we've had. Um, and it's uh, not quite restful because there's so much to do, of course, but uh, we've been uh, so busy and so grateful to be busy, but uh, tired is the operative word. Can relate, <laughs> can relate. Absolutely. <laughs> You know, I'm curious, I always start off with this because just to get a, a baseline of of your upbringing a little bit, you know, what was your spiritual slash philosophical upbringing like? Did you grow up in a household that held a certain faith or was spirituality slash philosophy, you know, something that personal that you discovered and developed over time on your own through kind of an individual journey? Well, um, technically, yes. Um, my My family like baptized me and stuff in the Greek Orthodox church. I'm half Greek. Uh, So, so that was where I went to, went to church and stuff, but I was always kind of questioning. I learned about all religions growing up. I know that's pretty common up here uh, in the Northeast to, to do that. Uh, But learned about all religions, spirituality um, in general. And uh, I always found that the place of the church in at least my immigrant family's life is that center point of community with others that uh, also immigrated here. So, um, so that's kind of my background in it, uh, in in that regard. I can't say I'm the, I'm quite, I'm not religious really Mm. much anymore, but I, I still try and learn about religion still. And and I might be fairly spiritual. It depends on how you look at those things, but (laughs) It's a it's a spectrum. It's a it's a current constant ebb and flow in life. And you know, right yes. now, like where you're at, at at the at the age you're at, what do you find yourself believing in at this point in your life that kind of guides how you view the world and how you carry yourself in it? Like what feels most true to you? Probably I guess like the easiest way to describe what that is is like the collective unconscious sort of thing. Uh I mean, there's like a lot of different ways you can call that, like, but uh, for me, I think that's probably the most succinct 
version of what I would call something like that, the collective unconscious of something that threads us all together and not just humans, you know, animals and, and, and beings. And I, I find that very comforting to think about, um, especially with, <laughs> it's a dual-edged sword. It's comforting that uh, there is something that links us all together that I believe in, whether or not I know how to phrase it. But it's also uh, kind of scary because uh, if that was the case, then why is there so much strife and we're not getting along and, and whatnot? So accessing accessing that uh, collective unconscious, I think, is important to me right now. Absolutely. That reminds me of the the conversation I had with... Um... From enforced, he was talking. He's he's very he's a big Jung reader, and he was talking about like Jung's concept of like shadow of the oh, depths yeah. or spirit of the depths or something like that. That kind of intangible thing that seems to connect connect us at least oh, through, sure. through through his terminology. And so that's just what that reminds me of. But mm -hmm. cutting down to brass tacks, you know, I got really excited to reach out to you and feature you on this podcast because it feels like you were tailor made to be on here. You know, I read the revolver <laughs> article on you guys that specifically mentioned, you know, your inspiration and interest in philosophy, you know, specifically mentioning uh, Michel Foucault, John Locke, Plato, where did these thinkers specifically, and you can of course branch off beyond just these three guys, you know, where did they first kind of enter your life and what were the most resonant ideas of each that took hold on you? Because I was hoping you could educate me a little bit on these guys, because <laughs> especially with Locke and Foucault, I have only kind of a little, a, a bit of passing knowledge, a, a slight bit okay. of knowledge, but, you know, I, I want to know about the ideas that you feel seep most into your lyricism and kind of the worldview implications of, of these philosophers and the ideas that resonate with you. Ooh, it's, it's quite a large endeavor to take in but i will attempt to do so and i'm, I'm not super i i'm like a uh coffee table uh philosopher i guess you could say i read a uh, little bit hey, of too, what interests so. me and uh i wouldn't say that i'm super versed but i do have a background in art history so that's where a lot of this came from uh right. or the cool. interest in this came from also an architect so it it, it crosses right. in uh in the at least the theory side of it but um the one thing that really got me into most of those thinkers that you mentioned was, uh, especially Foucault, was I had this teacher when I went, I took like my first like college English class or something like that. And he basically, uh, you know, taught us what postmodernism was in, in uh, linguistics and uh, maybe, and not, not art per se, but just the, the ideas of postmodernism, which changed the 20th century. And then Foucault was a part of, of what he taught us about. Uh, initially, it was like a really small, uh, little small uh, endeavor into uh, into Foucault's work. But mm -hmm. since then, I kind of I don't know why I always resonated with Foucault, Foucault the most. Um, he's a, he was a gay man. Uh, he was uh, definitely an, an outsider, but knew how to fit in when he needed to fit in to make his points. So I, I find that I find that interesting and valuable um, in my own life and, and work and seeing how you can sort of sit on the the precipice of being very metaphysical but also very practical exactly and so later yeah Sorry, yeah oh, no go ahead no 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 I'm, <laughs> i was just going to say you know he the one thing i do know about foucault is he kind of talks about like the dynamics of power and he's very inspired mm -hmm, exactly. by like by nietzsche and like the will to you know like i i read nietzsche back in college and it's, he's someone i need to like mm -hmm. kind of dive back into more but like the will to power and kind of different kind of explorations of power and obviously you talk a lot about mm -hmm. 
the 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 disconnect of like power dynamics both in our society and kind of like between each other and uh that's just kind of what i saw but i didn't mean to interrupt go ahead and i, I want to hear no, your own words all. on all that no that's that's great because you gave me quite the, the the focus on what i was trying to say i guess um but yeah for for me i i read nietzsche and and camus and the existentialists and um uh, nihilists like when i was in high school and i really that resonated with me then i always found that like nihilism was just like one step too far for me i'm i'm not quite that pessimistic um but i love the work and i i see its truth in it uh but i i kind of reached for something a little bit outside that that had a little bit more uh optimism to it a little bit more practicality in the real world and so that's kind of what also led me into the postmodern foucault and, and whatnot and so the power dynamics uh writing that you were talking about i, I really really uh, read a lot about that especially in, in architecture school because uh well one of foucault's most famous works uh we had quite a few but um one that was brought up a lot was uh discipline and punishment so uh that that kind of really spark notes reading of it is like you know we're we're brought up in these paradigms of school and and these regimented systems and and isn't it funny how a school kind of really mirrors prison life and and it was all really contemporary at his time of what was going on but and that like reaches over into the built environment because he had all these uh, ideas about the panopticon and and how prisons were actually physically built and how power literally um manifests in the real world and you can see that with uh, his panopticon writings and also like uh, uh, during the Industrial Revolution, there was like a lot of people that were uh, hired to work in these uh, factories and smaller places. And then they were built all around the uh, the idea that a small group of, of people needed to hel- hold the power over these large masses of workers that maybe weren't educated, maybe weren't from the city, maybe weren't. So it was uh, that really interested me. And then, and some of that ties into like the lock stuff that uh, was probably referenced in the in the article that you read and whatnot. But uh, at the time of our first record, and and it crossed over a little into this record, I was really focused on that architectural manifestation of uh, how power is physically in our world and how we we don't really notice it. I mean, we do notice it. There, it's it's. It's it Maybe ranges subliminally from, sometimes. Yeah, it ranges from really sub, subtle stuff that uh, that you'd have to visit a few times to be like, ah, yes, this is this is how this is literally making me act around it, and and to some really uh, diabolical diabolical stuff. That, brutalism. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I love brutalism. I love brutalism, but <laughs> it's uh, contentious <laughs> with many people. <laughs> That's really cool. This is all just like really fucking cool for me to hear and you know diving in on even a, a a micro level on your background as an architect and and in the band as well you know I, i've talked a bit on this podcast with other guests about the question of like when is anger righteous and when can anger be used as a positive tool to kind of spur yourself and others to action without kind of it's it's a it's a tricky kind of line to navigate maybe for some people the idea of like anger or or, or righteous anger because we've talked about how ego 
and fear of change slash of, of reconstructing yourself as a, as a mm -hmm. person are kind of the two biggest impediments to people actually wanting and having the desire to self-examine and have awareness of themselves on a deeper level and how they interact mm -hmm. with other people and other groups. And as an architect, I would think that you appreciate very practical solutions to things that you kind of view as impediments to problems or things that you view as problems. So, you know, what do you think personally Either we as a collective, and you can kind of define that how you want, have to do on kind of a practical ground level, you know, on the idea or on the level of conversing and looking someone in the eye and sitting down to kind of plant seeds of examining where our current values of morality towards others are in the country, you could go slash world. I mean, if you want to go even bigger, you know, and or in another sense, sim more simply, you know, the practical things that we need to do to start a, to quote your song title, forced collective introspection. You know, what are these kind <laughs> of tangible, are, are there tangible things that can be done? Because I talked about this last week, it has, or two weeks ago, it has to come from the desire. People have to want to change and it's very oh, scary. Sure. To, to be like, man, I have to kind of reshape my whole being, my whole identity. Like, I don't want to do that. It's more comfortable to not do that. But I think really the the only way we can have a more egalitarian society that is kind of pushed forward through human compassion and not through greed or ego or these kind of things that kind of currently rule us, that there's sure. something has to happen. But I don't know what that is. And I always like to ask people, especially you, okay. again, on a practical level, what do you think that those things could be? Well, that's a really great question, really hard to answer in, in a lot of ways, but I think, um, and I don't want this to sound like I'm like yearning for an, a time past. I don't think that's oh, ever course. helpful or ever good, but however, I think there's an importance to community in that aspect because yes, you are the only person that can change yourself. You're the only person that's going to push you to do something but the power of the collective is very important in getting you into that mindset so i mentioned it before like with my upbringing uh like the immigrant communities they, they gathered in the church and uh having a physical space is so so important to gather and to spread ideas and to and to manifest things literally like manifest things in the physical world i think that's so important and it's kind of being lost to the wayside in a lot of ways and that, you know, the church is not important in people's lives as much as it used to be. And the church itself, in my opinion, is flawed because it has a leadership structure. And I feel that true community, uh, yes, there'll, there'll be leadership figures in certain aspects and to help guide you with things that they are knowledgeable in. But it, it, a true community does not have the same leadership hierarchy as, as something like a church or a government could ever have. Right. So that's kind of my my base answer is that okay. more space to where we can convene together as people, as diverse people or as specialized groups. I, either way, I think that can go a long way in helping you uh, change yourself for the better or or, or keep yourself in, in positive mental alignment <laughs> with your peers. So and architecture can help that. And, and there's a lot of debate on on, on how that is to be created or, or, or manifested or, or whichever, however you'd like to define that. But I, I think that's probably the, and, and you know, I, I mean, I wrote a, a little bit about this on the record, but right now, and especially in the pandemic when we were all forced to shelter and, and micro 
and what, what, what do they call clusters or whatever they call them at the beginning? Something, I'm yeah, sure. Very yeah. small, <laughs> very small units of, of, of groups, right? And it became very apparent to people on how their lives and their their mental being was being structured by, you know, Facebook algorithms, Google, what have you. And this very hyper-targeted, very specific, very one person, uh, you go on Facebook, you see exactly what it wants you to see you. And that makes, that does something to your mind, I think. It, it makes you feel like, ah, yes, the world does revolve around me because on Facebook, everything I see is is exactly all the things that I like. Or mm -hmm. on Facebook, everything that I see is like a reflection of these arguments that I want to have or or, or what, whatever it may be. It's, it's targeted to you. It's meant to make you feel like you are your world. Facebook revolves around you. Yes. Google, the entire world revolves around and you. Jake, Jake from kind Health of, kind of talked about this a little last week where it's like it, it kind of removes it removes kind of all space in your mind that you would have to kind of like self-examine and have a certain awareness of kind of questions that we're talking about here and kind of thinking deeper about yourself and how you treat and how you others and how you exist in, in the world and in society, because like it just kind of saps, it saps the air out of, you know, wanting to do that. All we kind of want to do is like, I got to go on to the next thing and the next thing. And I, our attention has kind of been monopolized, you know, by all these, sure. these companies and stuff. So it's interesting. For sure. I mean, not not in a good way. Interesting. <laughs> there's definitely power. There's power in it for sure. And and we saw that, you know, the early 2010s were kind of like the last time I felt that, oh, yeah, maybe 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 this can be used for the collective good. Because we were so in innocent. If you, back, collective if you look back <laughs> at those times, it's like I look back when I was posting when Facebook first like came out in 2009 and stuff. I was like, it's like, what were you what are you doing? I am exactly. listening to yeah. this song. It's awesome. Yeah. Like yeah. this song is great. Like I would just post like the most like I mean I was young too that had a lot to do with it, but I would post just like literally the most like innocent just kind of like here's like something fun I'm doing and like let's get together like making plans or doing stuff like that. Like it was yeah. all it all felt very kind of innocent at the time and I think you know the powers that be kind of determined like they could bend it to their will and kind of and shape people's ideologies through it and stuff and it like still that. kind of felt ephemeral didn't it like it felt like you're just putting it out into the air and over time like a dandelion it'll go off and then and it'll dissipate and be nothing but I mean we knew then like the internet is forever but like now it's it's the internet is forever there's no getting about it if you you can it's it's always going to be there so there's like a whole different way i feel in which we use the internet and abuse it in that way as well uh so i, I don't know that's that's a little bit of a tangent but yeah. i think it all affects how we how we act yeah i agree in real life too and going back to back to the concept of anger, because obviously, you know, anger is a tool for right. your band. I mean, it's anger is a tool for every, you know, subgenre of metal or heavy music in a sense. But there's again, it's a it not, I don't want to say it's a fine line, but you don't want to. There's a difference between the anger that you are using and like the anger of hatred and the anger of like bigotry and discrimination. And so when in your mind or in your view, is it just as a human being through your experience and what you've lived through? when is anger righteous and when should it, should it be used? When is it a positive thing? And when, at what point does the ego kind of take over and cross, cross it into a realm of, uh, you know, something ugly and something beyond when it can be used for, to spur positive change. For sure. Um, yeah. This is the question that every 
heavy band should examine within themselves because I think it says a lot about how you are as a band, what your answer to this question may be. And so I guess let's split it up in different parts. Sure, when is anger anger when is anger righteous? And and how is how do we use anger in what we do, right? Perfect. The easy I- answer for for how we use anger for what we do. I keep coming back to this, but it's it's community. Like there are many things that I feel my larger community, diaspora, you know, all these groups that I'm a part of. There's a there's many things that anger all of us together. And uh I find that anger is can be a motivating tool when used in community. So, you know, we we write these songs, they have angry components to them. However, they're meant to spur an action or, 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 or at least an introspection. You know, uh, I listen to the song. Now I'm going to think about this topic or I listen to the song and now I'm going to go to the show and I'm going to let out my emotions and I'm going to use this as a tool, this anger to uh, put it all out there and, and, and release it and uh, find my community. And for me, that's always been an important aspect because I'm an only child and I came from a small town. So uh, extreme music and and the anger I found in it helped me meet others and helped me find my community. So so I, that is inextricable from our music for me. Um, and we want we want you to have a good time. We want you to be angry, and it is pissed off music. And and we are expressing those emotions. But live, when when you come to see us play, it's it's about letting that out and having a good time. So that's that's anger as a tool in that way. You know, anger as a media like. Anger is a gift. That's a rage against the machine. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so that's how we use it in in what we do. And so, for the the response on to when anger is righteous, um, anger is is something that I find you can be angry, but you're not in like a state of anger. Like I, you can meet hatred. Yeah. I feel like occupies that space. Like you can you're in a state of hatred, like it overwhelms everything you do and and it lingers and it stays there. And yes, I can be angry, um, but I find anger to be more more of a flash of emotion, something that is so immediate that you have to get it out and, and, and be mad about it. And then after that, it's either calm or it's, does it turn to hatred? What, what does that become of it? So anger is, is, is like a point of which, can grow to grow or shrink to be a state of being in other ways. Yeah. So anger can almost always be righteous. I feel as long as it never grows to, to be something that's detrimental to others or, or uh, others that don't deserve it really is, is what the uh, misplaced anger, misplaced hatred. Uh, see, those all things are all things that can be dangerous. However, anger itself, uh, if you're willing to accept the consequences of it, um, can almost always be righteous, in my opinion. Of course, one can take it too far. One can, uh, yeah. One can do too much. But I, who's not to say that taking anger too far sometimes uh, creates something that's more lasting and more beautiful uh, than the original misdeed, if yeah. you will. So uh, we just we just got back from tour. Uh, with drop dead and so i like to bring them up because they talk about animal liberation a lot and the mm-hmm. um eco-terrorists and eco-terrorism and animal activists like yes it comes from anger there's an action that's taking place yes they're breaking the law yes they're doing something crazy yes they're doing it but in the long run 
uh, that small burst of anger and the initial consequence uh, diminishes and, and something more beautiful and more sustainable, in my opinion, uh, comes in its place. So yeah. yes, it's wrong what they do, but yes, the anger is righteous in the way that it, it turns into. It's wrong what they do probably. essentially within like the the quote unquote like concepts of like how we've laid out like certain notions of justice or like law mm-hmm. or things like mm-hmm. that. But but on a you know on an individually or, or at least for again this is something I talk about that's complicated for people like you and I are on a, or on a larger view of our community maybe on a moral level it 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 just kind of is in, it feels inherently right it feels inherently correct mm-hmm. but kind of on, on a societally conceptual view of law and stuff or you know, the, the, the powers that be that set those things, it's, it's wrong and, or it's, it's, it's illegal. And, you know, this is, it's, it's interesting. Cause like, I think what you're in a sense of what you're saying, it's like a lot of emotions and concepts and things in our society. It's a mirror to the individual anger is a sense is it is a mirror. You hold it up to yourself and how you wield it is a mirror to like where, where your morality lies and like how you have been shaped as a human being and how you choose to kind of like use it as a tool, you know, whether mm-hmm. to, to harm or, or, or to, to, to repair. And I think the the tricky thing is like, you know, I was my very first episode, I talked with Keith Buckley and, 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 and from every time I die and in his, one of his views, like he's very, you know, he's very adamant that like, if there's change, like heads need to roll like literally like the bring the guillotine mm-hmm. out like line them up put the heads in like heads are going to need to roll like that's really the mm-hmm. the way forward and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna align myself one way or the other with that i don't know you know what the yeah. right answer is but that's certainly you know one way of like viewing that kind of concept of you know crossing uh, maybe potentially crossing a threshold of what is commonly decent seen as commonly decent, but to achieve like what he views as a lasting benefit or for like a collective change on in the, for the world. I'm kind of just like speaking a lot of ideas out without a lot of focus. So I apologize, but no, it's, 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 a, this, it's, it's this larger idea of like, it really, it really is a mirror to the individual. And it's so hard because it's, it's so hard to reconcile sometimes. Like you talk about the importance of community and and anger being used, righteous anger being used in the kind of context of a community for things that we view as morally good, and I certainly have things I view as morally good. Um, but is it difficult to kind of reconcile? And how hard is it to separate yourself or, or know that there are communities of people out there that view what they are doing as, yeah, you know, what that the anger that they have as righteous, but yeah. to a lot of us it appears the opposite. It appears again, it crosses yeah. that threshold of hatred or, you know, mm-hmm. however you want to categorize it. How do we, how is it ever possible to connect with everyone to, to, mm-hmm. to, to form a common ideation of like, well, we need to like fucking check ourselves a little bit, like, and get some priorities yeah. straight, you know? I mean, Does I think it's sense? possible. Am I making it does sense? make sense. <laughs> You're making absolute sense. I think it is possible to connect with anyone and everyone. I'm that kind of person. I believe in empathy. And and however, not everyone is equipped mentally. And I w- would find it very difficult to find someone that uh, within their own mental health could connect with everyone like that. Like it's possible to connect with hate groups and, and whatnot. I guess you can find something that you share in common. And I do believe like a lot of that is misplaced anger, misplaced hatred, um, there's something at the core exactly. of it that 
that we're all upset about, but they have found these words and this community to uh, express that in a way that is immediately apparent yeah. to them. Maybe and I was going to follow up. I'm sorry to interrupt again, but to, to follow no, no, up no. on your question or on your, your answer here, I was going to say, I think the difference is anger is righteous when it is turned towards like a system, towards like a system mm. that has like failed the collective, mm. like a, of a society mm. or the planet or whatever, you know, whether it's a bunch of corporations that have like polluted the environment or mm -hmm. governments that have oppressed people or have, you know, indoctrinated ideas that have caused like oppression mm -hmm. or like set very harmful systems in place that continue to harm people. I think when you turn mm -hmm. anger towards where it where it should be turned on a practical sense in terms of existence on this planet Earth and the systems that we use to live in, then it's righteous. But when you turn your anger towards the heart and the emotion of existence of a human being, that is hate. And that's that's when it crosses the line of of hatred. But it's all about kind of aligning where the anger should be directed because some people think some systems should deserve anger and some don't and it's it's a cold gray right. mess and stuff like that i'm sorry to interrupt yeah, it's a That's spectrum kind of just... not at all it's yeah. a spectrum it's really complicated and truly a, a web of of uh influence that we all have on each other however speaking to your to your notes i mean sometimes people are scapegoated in in place yeah. of a system yeah. and now you can get it this can get very dicey and and very hard to so, but I'll, I guess I'll go there anyways. I mean, there's always you, the- You could say whatever you feel comfortable with. <laughs> oh, I'm definitely not comfortable with this. I, I still don't know how I feel about this, but I'll, I'll, I'll say it anyways. But, you know, um, let's talk to abuse, uh, specifically like abuse against women, right? This yeah. is a big topic within, within um, the music community and has been for a long time because people are holding people accountable. And, uh, you know, sometimes people lie, sometimes, yes, I get that, but I'm usually of the of the mentality that if someone has the courage to speak out against someone else, that there's truth to it. However, okay, that all that being said, now, I guess looking at, let's look at Me Too, right? Because that's kind of the the biggest representation of what that is. Now, was that anger that was used towards the system of misogyny or was that anger that was used towards the one person Harvey Weinstein or, or the, you know, all the subsequent people that were outed as being abusive in that. Yeah. The kind of which, large figureheads. Oh, that kind okay. Of came out. Yeah. That's, that's hard to, can a person be truly be the representation of a system? Yeah. And I think a lot of the times, yes, that's, that can be the case. Harvey Weinstein was a great example of a person that was, very easily understood by everyone to be this uh figurehead of yeah. misogynistic i think behavior. it makes it easier for people to kind of be like okay we got we clean that up like we're good now like i'm good but like no like there's a whole underlying structure that is a, to be attacked here and that's why it that's why it worked in a sense but yeah when you get on the small scale i mean there i have known people to have been accused of doing terrible things and 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 it to have come out as to not be true so mm. That's that's hard to talk about, and and the anger with that, and the the community behind that is hard to hard to talk about as well. So so, you know, we always have to be careful, and we always have to protect our community. So which I think it's a net positive good, but you know, when you speak of the systems and and bringing them down, there's there's real people behind certain systems, and many of the times they do deserve yeah this uh, retribution, but many sometimes they don't. I think of the, Actually, I think, just, 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead, please. Oh, no, I know. I know there's like a delay. So, but I was actually just watching something interesting last night. It was a documentary on this um, artist and, and she was an activist as well. And uh, they specifically, her group pain um, made up of people that have been affected by the opioid crisis. Right. So a, co- a community of people that have been right. affected by a system, um, big pharma, uh, greed, you know, capitalism, many systems in one. And they all manifest in this one family, the Sackler family. And, oh, uh, yeah. I watched the TV show, the um, Dope Sick show, which was kind of the dramatization oh, yeah, of that, okay, which so. is very good. You guys should all yes. watch it. It's very, very good. I, I have to finish it, but I, I'm, I'm at least familiar with it enough to where I think I can speak on the, the family itself. But, oh, yeah, please. So Sacklers and their company, the figureheads of the these various corrupt systems that we want to fight against, legally there's there's no, no way they can be held accountable you know they've been they've bankrupt to themselves they've protected themselves from uh, from actually being criminally responsible for for what they've done and and to an extent i think that's changing uh recently now but at any rate um these people that were affected by the opioid crisis saw you know there was not going to be any way to hold these people accountable and, and they went after what the only way they thought that they could get to them, which was by targeting really the legacy of their father's philanthropy, but also their own philanthropy. They've washed money through almost all of the museums in Europe and and America and uh, many more in universities and whatnot. And their name is plastered on all these buildings and and their legacy in that sense will be, oh, wow, they were such great philanthropists. And, And we're so grateful that they gave all this money so that this museum can, you know, operate and whatnot. But what it, they did worked, and, and they were able to really get their names taken down. They were able to get their donations refused, and 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 that was the only way to get to them. And I know this is probably going off on no, tangent please. a bit, but please, it's, please, it's they they took anger and they took community, and they combined those two very powerful things and did it in a beautiful, nonviolent way, and. Uh, there's some value to having violence. Sometimes I, I can't yeah. say that that's wrong, but, um, but what they did for the time, for the target, for all these things was, it was just so, it was so beautifully done in my opinion. And it was so clear and, uh, and it achieved what they were trying to do. And I, I think it probably did bring some of them peace and uh, probably did bring some of them a little bit of uh, vindication and, uh, and the anger probably turned into something a, a little bit different and at least maybe help them grieve or help them move on in another way. That's a great crystallized example. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt again, but that is a great crystallized no, no, example you gave. It's good for all of us. I think, you know, maybe I wasn't a part of that group or whatnot, but learning about them and, and seeing the, the fruits of their labor uh, connected me with them and, and with their cause. And I, I it makes me feel a certain way. It makes me feel motivated. So so you don't have to always be a part of it directly to reap the benefits of, of the action that's done. Yeah. And on the flip side, you you know, you mentioned sometimes you have to use a certain sense of violence. But again, it's I think it's a very specific based thing. Like I think of, you know, talking about one figurehead or one figure, one figure that kind of dictates the lives of a lot of people is, uh, you know, like someone like Putin in Russia, you know, who, oh, yeah. you know, invaded the Ukraine and is now kind of dictated the lives of, you know, that Ukrainians have to fight for their lives with violence, you know, you know, go to war 
to to defend their defend their homeland and you know if there was a different person a more compassionate person leading Russia I'm sure there's you know a million people around him that are you know yes men and believe the same things he does but you know in a different world or in a different you know, different time, different universe, someone with compassion leading a country like that, you know, things would be very different if it wasn't for the will of one man in that way. Um, oh, absolutely. So, you know, I want to, and I want to kind of not give my own answer or one potential solution or something that could, might help a lot of these, these things, but how underappreciated and undercultivated slash unexplored is the idea of spiritual slash philosophical curiosity and growth amidst both kind of on a very small micro level our community you know artists and fans in the metal and rock scene you know i love the carl sagan quote that you use in that which does not bend must break which is we can oh, yeah. progress by the courage of our questions and the depth of our exactly. answers which to me speaks, oh. it speaks directly to this kind of idea like do you feel like opening the permissions and encouraging others in our scene and beyond to expand their kind of philosophical and spiritual ideas and explorations is kind of the first step to what Sagan is talking about here in terms of us progressing in what I would think that is that more tolerant egalitarian society that addresses social need and moves discovery forward based on human compassion and understanding and not ego or greed or power or these kind of these other things. Absolutely. Yeah, that's totally the goal. And, and I, I, that that song in particular is, uh, well, the way it started out, I, I revised it a little bit. It was very critical of uh, Christianity and, and 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 religion and whatnot when it when I first wrote it, and I kind of changed it slightly. It's still pretty critical, but and and I'm not I'm not to say that you shouldn't be a Christian or shouldn't be this. I, I think there's value in having a religion for some people, and I think there's some things that are just totally that just need to be left left in the in the past mm. so but I, I i think that's in, in, important and when we talk about spirituality like some people really find the value in organized religion for for themselves so that's that's a part of it so i'll never tell someone within our community that they shouldn't look for that if that helps them right but even but, on um, a, even just a sp even going beyond organized religion just kind of like yeah, opening exactly. the permission to say hey look at these kind of spiritual practices or look at these philosophical sure. ideas like that go that, for sure. That, you know, I, I frame that in the podcast through the lens of like, if you are struggling or feel stuck in your life, like, and you don't know where to turn or what to believe in, you don't necessarily, mm -hmm. you can turn towards, of course, organized religion. That is of course a valid way, but it, and it'll always be a mirror, like whether you, you know, again, like how you use it and how you wield it. But there are so many ideas that go beyond kind of organized religion that kind of delve into individual exactly. spirituality and philosophy from across decades. And that's kind of what I'm I'm wondering, like, do you think that that's important exactly. to say like, hey, don't be afraid to open yourself up to this and express sure. yourself this way. And that can, that can, people might think, because the second half of the question that I wrote, I guess I'll just keep going because we can attack it. Yeah, we can no, break please. it up and, and attack it is, For sure. I was wondering why there isn't kind of more of that do you think it's because there's this degree of willing narrow-mindedness in in our scene because they're these the genres you know metal and rock are often portrayed as having you know the majority of people in them that are very open-minded and very mm -hmm. individual thinkers but maybe we have kind of a bigger problem with kind of a willful not i guess willful ignorance or willful narrow-mindedness but maybe it's also because like you mentioned it's kind of taken a back seat to very practical 
existence-based things like attacking mm -hmm. uh, predators and sexual abusers in our scene. That's something very tangible that has to kind of be addressed immediately, you know, and, and things like that. But do you think that searching and delving into these kind of philosophical and spiritual ideas and taking a second to have awareness of those things might be a part of a remedy to some of those practical things and may kind of have a, a bombing effect to kind of a lot of things all at once. Personally, I do. I, I absolutely do. Um, I think that it requires work though. It requires you wanting to, you know, read or look into these things or find what it is that fits with you. And, uh, you know, simply put, some people just don't have the time or they don't have the desire to do that. And that's fine because there's so much media now that accesses that without being highfalutin or without requiring that much of you. Like, I mean, a lot of people call it like woke culture or whatever you want to call it. Um, but there, there's a lot of media right now that is, you know, trying to emphasize tolerance and trying to emphasize community and diversity and, and, and thinking outside of yourself, um, being woke or whatever, like the original way that we learned about that word so many years ago, right. Is like, you know, Oh, I, I see the world for, for what it is, the corruption and, and the, the systems that we were talking about before and whatnot. And, and I, I, I see the, the way that things truly are. I'm, I'm woke to it or whatever. That's, that's, I guess how I mean the word now it's totally bastardized in a million ways but you know you don't have to read Foucault you don't have to like there are valuable um arguments to be had by watching the Avengers you know what I mean like <laughs> there there's so much media right now that is easily accessible and easily watched and easily digested that um can bring about valid questions and, and another piece to that puzzle is that I think in our country in in our time and, and place in the world, like talking about spirituality or talking about metaphysical things or, you know, bring that up. It's, it's seen as something that's supposed to be very personal. So it's like, keep it to yourself sort of a thing. That's, this is yeah. your journey. Like don't impose upon me mm. when I, I don't think that's really the case. I think you can talk and, and it happens all the time. There's all different people that that talk about these ideas with each other that don't have the same views and or religion or yeah. spirituality or you know beliefs and and it's helpful so i think that taking away the stigma of talking about those things uh with others and also seeing the value in the accessibleness of some of the yeah i i, I don't know i don't know how, no, you how got else it. to say it no, you but... got it you got it i mean in a sense I have, in my experience, when I have kind of engaged people that may have very different political beliefs or very different, may have a different set of moral, a moral code than I do to some degree, maybe I'm not fully aware of those things to the, you know, nth degree to the greatest detail, but I feel like when I engage them on kind of those deep, as you, like metaphysical questions, that's a great way to put it, you know, and say like, you know, what do you believe in, in terms of like, even like the afterlife or what do you believe in, in terms of you know, uh, you could pick any of those, any of the, the greatest, the big questions that we have been asked, philosophical questions that have been asked throughout man's history. I think I find it, it's almost disarming to them in a way, but in a way that puts you on an even playing field, like where it kind of throws a lot of preconceived notions and like certain things out the window. So you're kind of engaging with yeah. them on a, on a level that is very untapped with whether yeah. you were to just engage with them about like, oh, hey, let's talk about your political beliefs or let's talk about how you feel about 
this mm-hmm. social issue. I feel like when you kind of start on a very wide swath of like, how do you feel about like my one of my my father taught me like the, one of the greatest conversation starters that he always uses is, do you believe in fate or free will? And mm. I think it's again, it, it can be very disarming to people and like, well, I never really thought about that or or maybe they do have thought about it, but you can kind of like you can get into kind of a debate, but not like a mean spirited one or one where a lot of like hatred kind of comes out. It's kind of a very like, because we don't know. I mean, it's one of those things that we really yeah, don't, we, no both, we both don't know. So it's like, we can kind of connect as a human being on that level. We're like, well, I guess we really don't know, but that's interesting that you feel that way about this question. And that's interesting. And they say, well, it's interesting you feel that way about this question. And that opens a, a wider door to kind of be like, hey, you know, I'm very interested to kind of understand you as a person more, like how you grew up, your parents, you know, where, what was your life like? Did you have brothers, sisters, you know, how did these things impact your life and how you are today? And like, I think that that opens a door for self-reflection for a lot of people, both parts of the conversation, both people in it. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious, you know, what do you, do you agree? Like, do you think that, you know, again, if we kind of break down that barrier, like you said, of this is something you keep to yourself and something very personal, but if you ask kind of, I think if you ask kind of questions like that, to a very a very large majority of people, I think that's a good a great way to kind of open doors and connect where other things have failed, and we we we're sure. always like, well, we're always we we you know we're so we're more separated than ever, and we're more 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 apart than we've ever been before, and we don't know how to connect with the other side. Like, do you think that that's a potential avenue, a potential door that people can be using maybe more to to try? I think it could be, but it could very easily go into the realm of dividing us again if mm, okay. because it's it's just so easy for people to manipulate and and um i mean i'm just talking on like a grand scale of something of like of course me just talking to you or me talking to a friend and having these conversations is one thing and and that holds uh for me it holds a very big weight with me right. maybe so i should than... maybe i should clarify maybe don't go up to just some <laughs> random stranger on the street and get in their face and be like do you believe in your free will you need to tell me right now <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's great. I think we should do more of that too. <laughs> Maybe scare people. <laughs> but um, yeah. No, in, in general, um, I I think that's extremely valuable on the the person to person level. Maybe not on the level of like like a whole country all at once like i i think it's like a boots on the ground type of approach and, and, yeah. and read whatnot. the room maybe also, yeah. <laughs> but also, I I, I think that's. And I was kind of thinking about this before, but I probably started talking about something else. Um, I think what we speak to a lot about and what we're saying is is the ability for empathy and expanding oneself to be empathetic towards others and and at least knowing yourself enough to to be comfortable to do that. And uh, empathy ebbs and flows in people's lives, I think, and it depends on what you have going on in your life and it depends on who you're around and, and whatnot. But um, we're also, I think I read somewhere or or heard it on something that like, we basically are not the same person we were 15 years ago, like every 15 years. So something kind of magic about that and that we like reset ourselves. And so at the end of your life, you are a completely different person than when you started your life. And, And these metaphysical questions and philosophical questions, they can be answered at any point in your life and they're not absolute there's no absolutes to these things. I feel different than I did 15 years ago. I will definitely feel different 15 years from now. And, you know, there's some things within your life that I'm sure stay constant, 
Um, but your relationships with them change and your ideas about them change as well. So you you might believe the same thing for a long time, but your relationship and, and proximity to it does change uh, throughout your life. And and I mean, people can argue that with me on that, I'm sure. But uh, that's at least how I see things. And I said I sense you are someone that believes in the infinite capacity capacity of people for the best for the of the best in people, and I admire that very much. So at least that's the impression I get. I do, but but I also am. I'm attempting to be a realist and that, you know, some, there's just some people who mentally can't cross that hurdle. And that is a whole other topic <laughs> to, to be dealt with, like mental health and whatnot and, and, and how empathy, like, yeah. because, you know, empathy is a chemical re- reaction in your brain, just like any other thing. So it's a multifaceted two-pronged approach. I talked about this last <laughs> week with, with Jake from health where it's like, it is so important that we have uh you know, so much focus on mental health, especially in this community and all the things that exist to promote that is, are so great. Uh, it's just, uh, maybe it, it would be cool if it, it was combined with like more stuff that promoted like spiritual health and spiritual exploration too. Mm-hmm. I think, I think it's mm-hmm. a, a two pronged, a two pronged approach. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just, I guess, speaking more towards empathy, I do believe in the power of, of people to you know, as long as all the tools are provided to them and, and that mental health is, is, is checked and balanced that, you know, you have, anyone has the capacity for empathy and to, and to, to learn it and to and engage with people in that way. And, you know, let's bring around the difficult topic again. This is like a big thing of, you know, misogyny and abuse in our community, right? Yeah. Being someone that's experienced that, you know, I uh, have a very specific lens on how I look at it, right? But, you know, there's a group of people that say abusers deserve nothing. They deserve the rot forever. There's no path to to recovery for them. And I understand that. I've been there. Absolutely felt that way. However, for myself, my journey, I found that it's very helpful to just be like, well, this terrible thing happened to me. This person's awful for doing this. What happened was truly terrible. Wouldn't wish it on anyone. However, for myself, I need to forgive mm. and to move on because it does me no good just sitting here festering for all these years. And I'm not going to change. I'm not going to attempt to rehabilitate this person. That's not my job. That's uh, not my goal. Uh, so, so for me, I believe that people can change. And I believe that there's a road to rehabilitation and, and recovery with certain people. Now, I don't believe that it's very tricky when you talk about community in that sense. If someone messes up that bad in the community, they shouldn't be welcome in the community again. But also, I believe in uh, people changing. I believe in righting wrongs. And so, really, it gets really tricky there. Like, yeah. who's to say what, who's worthy of coming back and who's speaking, worthy of not? And Yeah, and, you're speaking and, on one of the most important ideas ever you know with with humans which is the the concept of forgiveness and redemption like who is beyond redemption what is beyond redemption what is redemption is redemption individual is a societal thing it is very complicated isn't it yeah and uh i definitely think redemption is individual as like i've been able to sort of that been able to do that for myself and, and things that i felt that i've failed and fucked up uh with others and uh and a part of that is you know making it right with the other person. But sometimes other people just don't want that from you. They don't want you to be 
part of their lives anymore. They don't want anything to do with you. It's not helping. So sometimes you do have to turn internally to get redemption for yourself. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, it's, it's very difficult, uh, very tricky. And uh, I don't know what value that holds in society because it's such a personal thing. Like most of what we're talking about is very personal things like your, your own uh, moral compass, your own spirituality. Yeah. These aren't little T truth, subjective truth. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not things that we share with each other in fear of being ostracized or in, in fear of causing harm to others around you as well. So yeah, that's, that's really, really difficult. I wish that I could write about it in a song, but I don't think I'm there yet. I don't think. Oh, that... I, I, you have, I believe in you. You got this next record. It's coming <laughs> I, out. <laughs> I mean, like one song, I, I guess we have all is forgiven is, is about the initial yeah. part of what I was saying, you know, just that I need to forgive and move on. And it, it doesn't exist in my world anymore. And yeah. I've learned and I've become better for this and all is forgiven. It's I'm done. a firm believer in that too. So I, I do love that song very much because it resonates oh. with who I am as a, as a human being also. And I have two more questions before we get to the ending sections of the, of the podcast. Yeah. And, you know, one that just kind of, one's not even a question. One's just kind of a cool idea. And I wanted to give this to you before I asked the last like, main <laughs> question. I was, nice. I was listening to a lecture about Hinduism expressing and, and showing the Hindu view of, of nature as theater and existence as theater through the sense of like, we are, you know, I, I'm going to bring up Alan Watts again. This is a running theme on the podcast. And Alan Watts says, you know, in India, if you say here, if you say I am God, people look at you and you're like, oh, okay, yeah. this is uh, strange. Okay. But in, uh, in India, he, he, he jokes, he says, if you go in India and say, I am God, they say, oh, congratulations for finally founding for finally finding out. We're glad you finally mm-hmm. found out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we are all one with the Brahman, which is like this, you know, mm-hmm. the, the, the encompassment of existence. But it's the nature of we, of the Brahman playing hide and seek with itself. And it, we go through these epochs called yugas. Well, you probably heard the term mm-hmm. like the Kali Yuga, yeah. which is like the, 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 the epoch of like destruction. And yeah. so at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of these these four yugas, um, and this is really esoteric, so I apologize, but it's kind of a cool idea when you get to the end of it. Like everything is perfect at the at the first in the first yuga, and then it gets a little less perfect, and then it gets a little less perfect. And they I forget the term, but it's measured through these periods of millions of years. Mm-hmm. It's this very specific measurement of certain degree of millions of years. Yeah. And uh everything in our world, including like how things act and how the the trajectory of things is all kind of based on the the epoch that we are in which yuga we are in and the awareness of ourselves as brahman as as all connected as divine and you know the sense of like if we hurt our, ourselves or hurt others we are hurting the entirety yeah. of everything that awareness is kind of that hiding playing hide and seek with itself and the awareness kind of dwindles throughout these epochs these yugas and i exactly. i believe that uh that Watts said we're in the Kali Yuga right now. We're like yeah. in the, we're either in like the third one, like where it's like we're right there and like the edge of the Kali Yuga where things are really gonna go to shit and like things get real bad or like something like that. It's more again, I, I don't claim to say that this is real or, or or realistic or that one belief is more strongly, you know, real than another, but it's an interesting to think about that. Yeah, you know, no, it's a talking- helpful mental tool. You're talking about people's capacity for change, but it, it's you know in this in this worldview, maybe it's the collective capacity for change based on this kind of you know this divine this all divine energy entity kind of aware being aware of itself and like going through these different phases. It's very fascinating. It's why it's so cool to learn about 
these other cultures and other philosophies oh, yeah. and belief systems to reframe kind of things in a new way that might be interesting to you and may get you through some hard times and to think about things and you know the but the and so kind of tying into not the hindu side of things but you personally in your life i don't know much about uh orthodox christianity um the, what i can say is i remember going to taking a trip to jerusalem um with my family i'm not, I'm not jewish but we just went to just for the historical yeah. value and just to really enjoy traveling and wow. um i remember going to like the the church of the holy sepulcher and like the supposed spot where christ was was wow. born bethlehem in palestine and a lot mm -hmm. of these a lot of these places uh are very they're very beautifully adorned with the gold and silver and exactly uh, yeah <laughs> very uh, very like uh not ostentatious because it is very moving and beautiful but very um very just gilded and uh, mm -hmm. uh, celebrated through that through the kind of decor decorative ornamentation, and I, mm -hmm. I remember learning because I had no idea about this that like the the Christian church or the different sects of Christian thought, Christian belief, whether it's Catholicism and like various yep. sects and Orthodox Christianity, they divide these sites kind of up like the sections within them in a very micro level. It's like okay, we kind of like not manage, but we like have our stuff here and you have your stuff here, and that's very that's the only thing I really knew about. Orthodox Christianity just through my travels, but I wanted to ask, you know, what's the most beautiful, let, let's separate this into two things. What is the most beautiful philosophical, spiritual facet of Orthodox Christianity that most people don't know that you find exceedingly beautiful and moving in your own life? And what is the most beautiful philosophical aspect of being an architect and that part of your life that you think people don't often think about? Oh. Okay, I, I would need hours to really actually I'm sorry. talk about. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I I love that. Um, if anyone's interested, they can DM me and I can I can speak more to it. But I, I love that you. First of all, I love that you brought up the Hinduism, the the school of thought that Hinduism brings to the table because I love, I I love learning about Hinduism and I I don't speak about it a lot because it's not how I was raised. It's not my religion. I just learned about it. Learned about it through art and school. So um, I think that what Hinduism, what's so beautiful about it is that, you know, there is the surface re level religion that is, is is very much like any other religion. And, and has it's had its issues, for sure. It's idols. However, they really, really get metaphysical and uh, neo-tantrism, especially, they, they get really deep, really really quick <laughs> like if you yeah. if you go into especially like yeah. what, with what you were talking about and so um I, I i think there's so much wealth to be um to be had by at least just reading a, about it so congratulations I, I for finding out that you are god <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> so i i think that's that's it's a if anyone is remotely interested in this and just want to learn about something different and they're not familiar with the religion of hinduism and the specifically very metaphysical things that you can read about within them. Like that, that's perfect. 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 Anyways. Um, now for Orthodox religion. <laughs> um, yeah. So what, what, what do I find the most beautiful facet of, um, Orthodox religion? Yeah. In um, a sense that I think most people might be familiar with, you know, some Catholic traditions, you know, the very ritualistic mm -hmm. nature of, mm -hmm. of Catholic tradition or some Protestant traditions, basically, you know, depending on how you were raised. I don't think a lot of people in Western yeah. culture are Orthodox Christians or know much about yeah, it. No, so I'm curious to hear, so, to hear about the beautiful facets of it. 
So uh, I guess a little bit of background on it. So Orthodox Christianity, um, it, it differs from what most people know as uh, like the Roman Catholic and, and uh, Anglo-Saxon sort of versions of Christianity. And that at one point, um, the church split. Um, this is due to political things, and this is due to uh, arguments within the church. I was say, is this and, some like uh, Council of Nicaea stuff that that probably goes like, <laughs> yeah. way back? <laughs> yes, way back. So uh, I believe it's after the advent of Islam and okay. and, and whatnot. But it, it's before you know we have all the true the Vatican and all that stuff that we we know about today. So church splits. Orthodox uh, is. Uh, from how I've been raised, and this is different everywhere, but in America, it's very important that Orthodox religions are by the ethnicity that they hold. So I'm Greek Orthodox, there's Russian Orthodox, there's Albanian Orthodox, Assyrians, whatnot. Um, Of course, they would just be called Christians back home because that's (laughs) where they're from, you know? Right. So um, big difference. They didn't, uh, Orthodox Church doesn't follow the Pope. There's no uh, hierarchy in that way. There's there is like hierarchies. Okay, so there's like archbishops, bishops I think, right? Archbishops, diocese, things like that. So that's like the practical business side of the church and whatnot. And then you know you're they come down and they make their rules and I don't know. I I never liked any of that stuff that I heard about within my small church. But um, so yeah, no pope. So that's like the one big thing. And you know, and a lot of the Anglo-Saxon uh versions of christianity in the church of england and whatnot we were talking about you know fate or free will uh like you know the calvinists or whatever were like all about oh everything's predetermined so uh oh, we don't boy. need these like the the it, it showed in in the actual architecture of the buildings and the art style and whatnot so how you've picked up on orthodox religious churches being very ornate and uh beautiful and maximalist and, and and beautiful and whatnot that's visual representation of that initial split as well. So I, I do find the physicality of the Orthodox churches as beautiful and, and architecturally those are always domes. That's very uh, Byzantine uh, in, in a lot of ways in the architecture and in the music and, 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 and its influence. And I think that's really cool. Um, however, I have to say, <laughs> That you know, here in America, the the way that it's it's split by you know Russian, Greek, Albanian, that was very very important to us, and that's probably one thing about the church that I find most beautiful is that it's that community building, and, and now it's 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 definitely diminishing if you don't have the community or if um, you know. My my parents are come from two different backgrounds, so like they had to choose which one to go to. Not everyone chooses the Orthodox Church. People just drop out of the church. So like, community the community aspect of it, I thought was is really beautiful, and it keeps the the traditions of back home alive here in the states. And at least it's somewhere that I know I can go to. Like I can go to the Greek Church in Worcester, Massachusetts, where a lot of my family lives. And even though my grandparents are dead, even though like. You know, we're not speaking Greek with each other. I can go have a conversation with someone there. I can I can make, you know, the pastries the way we make them. I can listen to the music the way we, you know, I can find that there and it, it will be there for me, um, even though my direct lineage is gone. So I think that's really valuable and important. And of course, the music is badass because it's all Byzantine and, and sad and we chant and, and whatnot. Nice. And, uh, Love a good chant. And, it's, it's it's good shit but um 
So that specifically, it's not, it's not really anything to do with the, the religion. I mean, most of it's the same that you would find in, in any church. Another thing, they, they speak in the language of which, you're, so when you go to a, a Russian church, they're going to be speaking in Russian. When you go to a Greek church, they'll be speaking in Greek. So if you don't know the language, then, <laughs> I mean, growing up, like I didn't know pretty much a lot of what was being said because I couldn't translate everything one-to-one in real time. Yeah, so sometimes it, it increases like, your sense of awe, though, like, and you're hearing it in a different no, it language. Does. It's very, it's very, all, it could be even more spiritual. Yeah, all you have to do is look around and see, oh, what's this icon about that I didn't notice? Or what's this thing? So it's, your mind's always going when you're, uh, when you're there and it's housed in this environment to which it, it makes you think about those things, but it's not necessarily like preachy in a lot of ways. So, so that's what I find beautiful about that. And, and I won't say that I'm, I'm supportive of everything that we do. I, I view Orthodox Church I grew up in as our community center, as you know, right. as, as this. That's that's my view of it. It, it I, reminds I it's me not. very much of the. I'm sorry to. I'm thinking of something as we as we're speaking. It reminds me very much of. If any, you're talking about Marvel and the Avengers. I don't know if you saw the Ms. Marvel show, <laughs> but it reminds me of the kind of sense of community that she finds like in her mosque. Like cause oh, I, nice, she's yeah. Pakistani and, and Islamic and that they find it's very, it very much portrays it as this kind of very beautiful center of community where everybody gets together and like they have festivals and they celebrate and exactly. they love one, they love one another and they support one another. It's this beautiful thing. It's exactly how I feel about it. I haven't seen the show, but I, that's exactly how I feel about it. And I'm sure others do as well. But uh, I hope it's not sacrilegious of me to say <laughs> won't get kicked out. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. <laughs> no, they will um, I guess okay. So, oh gosh, the second part of your question—it's it has a, a lot of. Uh, it's tough because like architecture is all about aesthetics, and I said, "What's the most beautiful part about it?" <laughs> well, okay, so I will bring this up in only that I'm obsessed with it and that it, it uh, resonates metaphysically. Now, um, not a Mason, not a Freemason, because I can't be, but I've like I became obsessed with that. The stories and, and whatnot and deciphering the code and and, and all that at Reading a some certain Dan point Brown. in my life. There you go. <laughs> so I, I became obsessed with it a little bit in a part of my life. And there's one story um, about Hiram Babif, the architect of Solomon's Temple, and they call him the, the great architect, the god architect uh, in the code. It's G-A, G-A, G-A always. And so I was like, okay, great architect Hiram Babif. So the story is, this is really condensed, but you know he's constructing Solomon's Temple uh, and and uh, every day he goes down to his workers and and he has the knowledge of how to how to build this perfect temple, this beautiful and perfect structure, and he has the knowledge of of how it's supposed to be done and how righteous it is is to be done. And every day he gives the instructions on what is to be done, and on top of this uh, this point, and everyone listens to him, and he built it. So um, three guys, Jubilo, Jubilo, Jubilum, whatever. Jubilo. They uh, devise a plan to uh, to take the knowledge from Hiram Obiff, the great architect, right? And to take the knowledge of, of not only it's in the literal story, it's, you know, the knowledge of, of building in the metaphysical aspect. It's the knowledge of building metaphysically, you know, building of the divine of, of all things. And, and so the way that they, they take it from him is they, they kill him and they try and take the knowledge that way. That's not how it works. He contained the knowledge within himself. 
And so I'm, I'm really bastardizing the story for, for the wow. length of time. And, you know, they get their, they get their consequences dealt with and everything, but um, the, the secrets are lost then once he has died and the betrayal that happens. So it's kind of like a Jesus story. It's kind of like a, you know, it's a, it's a tale, you know, it's like a respect your respect for the authority, I right, guess, parable, like tale yeah. too as well. So it's, it's not a perfect, a perfect story in, in terms of how I do things, but I love the, the idea of, you know, God as an architect um, and that, we are God in, in some sense, and we yeah. can build that perfect image of ourselves. And within Freemasonry, there's all these construction metaphors, if you will, that get to these very metaphysical things. So I'll tell you what, you're you're meant you want to do some good research on Freemasons. Now. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think, don't know much I think about you'll really it. Like it. I think you'll like it. It's, you know, it's uh, you don't have to get into like the actual Freemason like structure and stuff, but the, the stories themselves are pretty great. And uh the Babel story and, and, and whatnot. And, uh, and so it, it's kind of like someone wrote their own fan fiction and it ties in with everything sort of, a, <laughs> sort of a story. But yeah, I, I, I love all that imagery and like, you know, they, they talk about, you have to take yourself. Well, the, the, the stone Mason knows how to take a rough stone and make it into a smooth and perfect stone. And this is the goal of, of what we're trying to do with you. We're trying to, you're coming in as this rough person and throughout our rituals and, and our community we're able to make you a smooth and and functioning member of society basically and whatnot yeah. and there's a lot of actual you know power that that has in history too and, and architectural history and there were many architects who are freemasons and and whatnot so becoming obsessed with that and, and reading that story and whatnot i think in architecture and constructing space it is very personal because you are making it. This is a reflection of yourself always in what you do physically. However, you are serving the public. You are serving communities. You are creating a space for someone and it will always be used and it will probably outlive you as well. So you have to take all of that metaphysical weight, that spiritual weight and all of that practical real life weight and put it into something that may not under be understood that way. And I don't think everyone needs to look at architecture this way. It's kind of ridiculous to say, oh, that bathroom building that I made in that park is like, I am God and I'm making this bathroom oh, no, I, building. I and... see it. <laughs> I see exactly what you're saying. It's this, it's, it's multi, I interpret that story. It's, it is beautiful for multiple reasons. It's kind of one talking about like the ethereal nature of beauty and like the fleeting, sometimes the fleeting nature of knowledge and, and that side of things that he took the he took the he took that knowledge with him to the grave and like you know those secrets mm -hmm. are lost but it kind of left this kind of mystique and this ethereal beauty to it this kind of divine mystery you know how kind of you you see the divine through kind of like these fleeting ethereal moments and and things like that but also the beauty and divine divinity of creation itself and you as an artist I definitely see the parallels I have a tile a tile sitting on the table behind me mm -hmm. um, a quote from the Gospel of Thomas where Jesus is talking about seeking like how to find god in you know in you know and the, the 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 gospel of thomas is one of like the gnostic gospels so it's definitely more mystical yeah. and definitely not as yeah and and you know he says uh raise the stone and thou shalt find me cleave the wood and there am i and yeah. I, I i interpret that as like multiple ways like god is everywhere like god is in everything and every like however you define the term of god it is in everything and everywhere it's in yourself it's in the work you do it's in what you create you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's in, it's in, it's in everything. And it, I find that a very beautiful sentiment. And I, I can see how that applies to architecture, you know, raise the stone, cleave the wood, the building. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's useful mental tools to help average people understand this about themselves and their potential. And it's it made even cooler that like, you know, back then, we have our lifespan, right? But these stone temples that we can build can extend our lifespan and, and our legacy for so long. And that's like so human. We want that so bad. But also now that we're getting it into like you know, 21st century, really getting into what this may mean for all of us, like a stone, a stone building only extends us so long. Like there is, we understand legacy in way bigger, longer spans of times in terms from what we know and what we're taught nowadays. And, and, and so that really, uh, really complicates things because you are extending your life through these, through these buildings and helping people and, and helping their lives and extending their lives. However, our, our, our time frames have just gotten so yeah. exponentially larger to where it creates all these like existential questions. Like, yeah. Uh, Maybe for, you, go, for, you, go, you go one way or the other, you go and create, create something that betters people's lives and that expresses yourself or you end up like Ozymandias, look upon my works, ye mighty in despair, like the ruins <laughs> in the desert where it's like, he probably, yeah, did yeah. Not, he probably did not use that architecture to uh, make people, a lot of people's lives better. <laughs> exactly. And that's the key to it. It's, it's, it's equal parts intention in what you make and, and how it's actually used because you can have all the intention in the world and you can build something in that, with that perfect intention. And then if it is used in a way that is is not the intention, it changes the meaning of it totally, which I love. And I love that that's possible and it's unpredictable. And uh, I mean, we, we've been speaking to this the whole time and, you know, that that we are God. God is in everything. God is like how we do. God in the terms of however you want to define that, the universe, God itself, God is a being, God is a concept. Yeah. And scientifically, like, I love the the thread of the... Oh my goodness, my Alexa is listening to me because she said, hmm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Creepy. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> I got her thinking. AI, you know. Um oh gosh, what was I gonna say? Anyways, yeah. Oh, so you, you were talking about um scientific, <laughs> some scientific thought that kind of ties into the nature of like divinity and oh, everything. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's trying to find that tying factor. What is this the smallest component to everything? Like we know. Can we go smaller? Can we go smaller? Can we go smaller? Like the God particle is Infinitely what they divide, like refer to yeah. as. What is, what is the essential building block to everything? And within that, can we kind of pick up on what is that thing that yeah. is thought and how we talk about it? God with air quotes and, and how we talk about it. Um, so so I, I, I like thinking about things as building blocks and, and, yeah. and things architecturally because it's my language that I'm familiar with talking, but... I'm sure if you had another guest on that came from a different discipline, they would use different language and it would be saying the same thing just in a different way. Probably. That's the cool so. <laughs> thing about this. Everybody does come from a different background and everybody does give a different perspective on things, which is why I love doing this. And, um, sure. and I just wanted to end with this too, before we get into the ending sections is you were talking about splitting down the building blocks to the smallest level. And Alan Watts, again, my boy, uh, another <laughs> one of his lectures, he's talking about, we'll never, I mean, I don't know if this is scientifically true. I'm not a scientist, but we would never be on, on a divine level on a, on that kind of spiritual metaphysical level. We would never be able to get to the smallest particles or the smallest kind of concrete things because in his, you know, in his view and through, through how he, he, in, you know, the, the beliefs that he held, 
we are God, we are the universe observing itself. And, you know, mm. the universe, the, the universe cannot observe itself no more yes. than fire can burn itself, or you can touch the tip of your point of your left pointer finger with the tip of your left pointer finger, or that you can bite your own teeth or concepts like that. Like the, we will all, the universe will always shrink from itself, like from our eyes, because we are the universe and uh, we will never be able to observe the, the, the smallest it can get because hiding from ourselves in a certain way, the universe hiding from itself, which yeah. I find very interesting. Um, huh. But anyway, just wanted to end on that note, which is a cool thing to think about. But Katerina, that brings us to our final two segments of the show. So first hey. up is Tomes of Wisdom, where each guest recommends us three pieces of media that have inspired them philosophically or spiritually in the last year. And this can be books, films, games, comics, anything that has made you think about your own life or life in the world in a different way. So Katerina, mm. what are three pieces of media you've consumed that you would recommend for us to digest? Mm. Good question. All right. Um, it's topical. We just had a, the Oscars and uh, I mean, everyone loved this movie, but everything, everywhere, all at once. I haven't seen I it. I loved that movie. Oh, I, I, I really did enjoy that movie. Um, it's fun to watch and it did get me to think about all the things I always think about anyway. So uh, in, in, in new visual ways. So I think most people that are into this would like seeing that movie Hell as yeah. well. I really liked that movie. Oh, let's think. Oh gosh, we've been touring so much that it's been uh it's been uh quite difficult uh to engage with even if it's t- even if it's just two or even if it's just that one, one, it's okay. I- I'm not a stickler for oh, it. Oh no, no, it's let's think. Let's think really uh succinctly. And also it doesn't we'll have to be the last year if it goes if it goes like before that too. Oh, it's all good. We'll keep it topical because we're why don't we we'll keep going with movies because it's I've been watching sure. a lot of movies while we we're in the um I spoke a lot about community today. Uh, there was a movie that came out this year as well that was also Oscar nominated called Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. Oh, yeah. Now, that, that movie uh, is a very sweet movie, very easy to watch. However, it talks about community and, and it really resonated with me and my bandmates. Uh, it's, it's just a beautiful movie. And, and it, I think it will speak to everyone differently in, in whichever form of community they choose to put in in place of the Marcel story. But that also gets to the collective unconscious of us in a totally different way from anything else. It's it's right. a very sweet, simple <laughs> movie. I think most people will enjoy that as well. And let's think. Think one more thing. Let's give out one more thing. Um, what have I been reading? I'm not quite finished with this book, but I for some reason I got really obsessed with um uh, the story of like how porcelain was uh, recreated in the in the in the West Western world, yeah, and there's this crazy story about uh, it's basically like a an emperor king uh, held this guy hostage uh, for years and years and years because he said that he could make the porcelain. He was like thinking an alchemist and stuff, and and uh, he just basically held him prisoner for years until he could figure it out, and he drove him crazy, and he eventually did it. Um, and uh the day after he did it he spoiler alert he dropped dead and like <laughs> that was his life was that and so the story where i'm at right now is picking up with like his apprentice and and how he pushed it uh further but uh i found that that story has a lot of interesting questions to be had because it's um talks about you know i mean it is set in a time and place and whatnot and 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 it's a story it's not like it's uh, philosophical per se 
but uh, it's it's a story of you know Westerners trying to recreate something that Easterners had already made and made perfect, and uh, and there's extreme value in it in practical ways and in like these beautiful artistic ways too, and and so it speaks to how we we keep ideas uh, from each other and and why we did that in the past. And uh, it speaks to uh, removing people from community and removing people from uh, reality in a sense, because their lives became just this one thing. And and it, and it speaks to all the, the the great crazy craziness of the alchemists and whatnot in the in the time period that they were writing and and power and uh, power and beauty and it's it, it's quite an interesting history to think about in a totally. And it's something like we totally take for granted nowadays because like we all can get porcelain we can get the porcelain that they're talking about for next to nothing. It's mass produced. It's, it's ephemeral. It breaks. It's, you know, right. think about the artist that sat there and, and, and painted the porcelain and for hours died. and hours. And then, well, that, that guy died. And then, and then, you know, you're, you're making something for this long and then it, it drops on the floor and it cracks and it breaks. And, and, and what's that say to, what is the art? Is the art you making it or the fin- final product or how does that make you feel? I don't know. There's so much to, to wax poetic about this one like That's material. Great, I love it though. What's, so, do you remember, do you remember the title of it? Um, the title, I think it was, let me find it. It's actually in my room. Hold on. I'll go plug the book. Sure, Go ahead. So this is the book. Um, it's by Edmund de Waal. Wall W A A L, and this book is the White Road Journey into an Obsession, and I'm like three quarters of the way done with it, but it's you know it 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 talks about it it, it goes on all of these different tangents, so it's it's it contains that story in which I told you, um, but it's it's pretty great, and so when I got halfway through this, I ended up picking another one to read later, um, about the the story that I was talking about that goes into more depth. And that one is called The Arcanum, and that's by Janet Gleason. And so I haven't read this one yet, but this one uh, really is more of a history book about that one story. The The, the White Road uh, book White is, Road. is much more uh, philosophical in how it, it talks about. It's uh, it's definitely not for everyone. It's like a, it's kind of an academic read about hey, something that might no not wrong interest answers, everyone, No wrong but... recommendations. I love everything. So I, I just think <laughs> that's super uh, cool. And two accessible answers and then one that probably most people won't Perfect. enjoy as much as you, I enjoyed it. <laughs> it's well-rounded. You rounded it out. And finally, this is the segment that I like to call the chaser. So in the chaser, we ask the same 10 rapid fire questions for each guest. And we ask that they keep their answer to 30 seconds or less. Are you ready, Katerina? Yes. Oh, I am ready. <laughs> okay. Do you believe in fate or free will and why? I believe in free will because... <laughs> I don't think I could function in a, in a life that was predetermined for me. Uh, I, I believe in free will for my mental health sake. <laughs> what is a stronger force in the world, love or hate and why? Oh, love. Always love. Um, I can forget about people that I hate really easily if I, if I focus on it and, and push myself. I can never forget about the people that I love. So. Awesome answer. Awesome answer. What was the most spiritual place for you where you grew up and why? And this doesn't have to be like a literal spiritual place. It can be just a place that had a lot of power, a sense of uh, a certain uh, power to it that you just didn't know how to define in your life. The library. 
the library for me. It was the access point. I'm a 90s kid, so it was my access point to everything. I could get books, movies, music. I could go there and hang out. It was a place where I was independent and I could get to from no matter where I was. So reading Rainbow and Wishbone taught us well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, who, are, who are the three most important spiritual and moral guides in your life and why? Hmm. Uh, my grandparents, for sure, that there, there were four of them total, but we'll count them as, as one unit. Uh, they essentially raised me. Uh, they helped my family out greatly in my life, and they taught me about their struggles at a very young age. Uh, which helped to ground me and and gave me a sense of purpose in in um, doing them right. Um, otherwise, uh, gosh, good question. Ah, Thirty seconds. Um, I'm not a stickler sister. for this either. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, my sister, who's not really my sister, but uh, she grew up in the same house as me for for years. Uh, she was from this country younger close to my age so i learned basically everything with pop culture and 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 connecting to other young people through her and i guess the last thing would be oh god i can't put this along <laughs> um spiritual guide would be but honestly like there's a string of musicians early in my in my life that i uh, you know looked up to and whatnot and you know this ranged dramatically from like you know the Kurt Cobain to you know uh Converge to uh fucking uh you know Omni DeFranco and whatnot and and I was never natural at learning music so I was always obsessed with music but it just didn't come to me naturally so um hearing people that it felt like it was easy for them to just make these things when maybe it was maybe it wasn't um that, that guided me on greatly in my young adult life that counts that counts so what was the what is the what is the most delicious meal you've had in the last month and where was it oh god oh we had so much good food in europe it's gonna be so hard to pick one um shit uh okay uh yeah it was not too hard uh we played a, a gig in Le leipzig uh germany um we were touring with uh, two bands that have many vegans in them. I'm vegetarian myself. And uh, the people at this venue made a duck fricassee, uh, a, wow. like a fake duck fricassee. And I was like, hell, is this is going to be weird. But uh, it was so good. Like, I don't even know how they made it. It was so, so good. And uh, that and my second, because I have to plug it in Germany, they have McDonald's chicken nuggets that are plant-based. And I hadn't had one of those since I was like really? a little huh. kid. And uh, that nostalgia is a hell of a drug. So that brought me back. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, I was going to say real quick, talking to someone who's half Greek, you know, brings back memories. Uh, my parents and I used to go to like the Hellenic Festival back where I grew up in oh, like, the nice. Buffalo, New York area. And we used to get like, yeah. we used to get the the Lucamades, which is like, those, oh yeah, those are so good. I haven't had one of those in forever. I need to get one of those again. Oh, you can make them at home. It's, it's not that hard. I don't trust myself difficult. around any sort of oil or a fryer or anything. I would burn my, <laughs> I would burn this apartment to the ground if I did that. <laughs> Do you think the universe bends towards order or towards chaos and why? Oh, chaos. Always. I'm a huge believer in, uh, like the chaos magic chaos is being powerful i have a tattoo right here oh well you can't see it but it says discordia i'm big into discordianism and the, the humor in that but chaos chaos, reigns. chaos chaos reigns and i think that you can harness chaos but you'll never know how it's going to turn out for you so <laughs> nice when was the last time you felt lost 
frequently on this last tour that we were on. Um, we always had a, a place to be and a place to go. So I, I had that, but I felt like my mental state was like, I, I didn't quite know what was going on many times because I was constantly switching languages and, and, and switching environments and falling asleep and waking up somewhere totally different was disorienting in the best way. What is the most important piece of your childhood that you've held on to and why? And again, this doesn't have to be a physical thing. It can be like an emotional tenant. Oh, my grandparents. I mentioned them before, but they, they live with me in all realms. They passed, uh, the last of my grandparents passed away in 2020. Oh, I'm very um, sorry. At the beginning of COVID. And I, I'm just, I'm such a grandma's boy. I, I love them so much. I learned so much from them. And I think about them constantly. I'm surrounded by all their stuff. Like I just, I live in one of their houses. Like I, I, I miss them so greatly, but they were the best. I'm very sorry for your loss. They oh, sound like you. really cool people. Um, yeah, they're awesome. What is one axiom or quote that centers you and calms you in dark times? Mm. Uh, it was actually my high school yearbook quote, but I think about it often. It was a Nietzsche quote. <laughs> hey, back to the beginning of around. Our, uh, one, one must have chaos within oneself to birth a burning star. Uh, Whoa. Speaking to chaos. Yeah. Speaking to the chaos again and its potential and uh, seeing the beauty in, in that I find to be helpful. And to everyone who has ever been touched by your words and music, what do you say? Oh, thank you for listening. Thank you for having that resonate with you. Uh, I wish that I could speak with everyone and, and, and understand what everyone's going through and, and how it resonates with everyone. But I'm just so grateful that uh, that there are people out there that want to listen and, and and to which they feel like we are kindred spirits. And um, I, I find so much value and 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 power in that. And I also find so much uh, calm and, and, and comfort in that too. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Katarina, you have just engaged in psychic warfare. Thank you so much for joining me today. It truly means the world. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. This was fun. Like very cool conversation. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening to Psychic Warfare. If you like content like this for the rock and metal scene, it would mean a lot to me if you could hit subscribe or follow on your podcast platform of choice. Also, you can follow me at Risk with a K on Twitter, and you can follow the show at Pod on Twitter and Psychic Warfare Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you guys again for all the support, and I will see you in the next episode for another round of Psychic Warfare. <laughs>